0: All right. Well, hey, it's good to see all you guys. I haven't been over here at Good Hope Road in a little while, so it's nice to see you. Now, probably for maybe half the room, based on the applause, the unexpected applause earlier, uh, you know who I am, and so thank you for being excited to see me. I appreciate that. I also was wondering, does Pastor Sean get applause every Sunday? Like, like if he doesn't, maybe he should. That might be a good thing to start. Um but for the rest of you, you may not know who I am, so let me just briefly explain to you how I connect to your church family. Uh, for a number of years, I was the pastor of student ministries at Daybreak, and so uh, though I wasn't here on every Sunday morning for a Good Hope Road programming, I was here from time to time to teach and also gave leadership to the team that was giving leadership to student ministries at this campus and also at Gettysburg Pike. So that's how I'm connected to Daybreak, and uh, I, I said this... Most of the time when I came over here, at least I tried to remember to say this every time I would come over over to Good Hope Road, is that I know it's not like a competition between campuses, okay, but like, I like preaching here better, okay? So (laughs) let's just just make sure everybody understands that, we're clear about that. I just like the energy that you guys have. I like the feel of the Sunday morning service at Good Hope Road, and quite frankly, you're just very beautiful people, and so... (laughs) You're just nice to look at as I speak up here on a Sunday morning. So it was funny to me when I I was emailing back and forth with Jason Fickus a few weeks ago about potentially speaking this morning, and then once we had agreed on it, uh, I got an email from Sean that had the content for the message, and I had to laugh that the name of the message was hungry, because I was thinking people are going to see me and see my picture on the screen and be like, that was a hungry dude. This is not a hungry dude. Or maybe I am the hungry dude because I ain't got nothing to eat. I don't don't know. But I have lost a lot of weight since last November until now. And I would say I attribute that primarily to no more student ministry lunches. Like I was just out to lunch every single day. But as the weight started coming off, I started jogging a little bit too. And one of the things that I figured out about losing weight is that I eventually had to just make this agreement with myself that I was going to stop compromising. And here's what I mean, that I had to daily make decisions that led me toward a healthier path. Now, I've been kind of up and down in weight throughout the course of my life, but what I feel like, hopefully is different this time around, is that I'm not on a diet. I'm not doing something that's like fad-driven. I'm just trying to make better choices about the things that I eat and what I put into my body. And the result has been I feel much healthier and I feel better about you know just the way I feel physically. And so that's been good progress. And I was thinking about that And how well that really relates to what we're talking about here this morning is that we have to establish some healthier patterns when it comes to our interaction with God and our interaction with other people. That's how we sustain long-term growth, not only physically, but also spiritually. That when we take those small, consistent steps and we do them regularly over time, that results in us finding a deeper level of connection and intimacy with God and deeper level of connection and intimacy with other people. And so it's a good illustration for me, kind of that's the place that I start from, as I'm starting to realize it's less about the big fad or the big moment or the big Sunday where everything changes, and it's more about consistent decisions over time to stay aligned with God's plan for your life. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm excited to get into the story uh, or continue talking about the story of Jacob and Esau this morning. Let me pray, and then we're going to read Scripture together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for directing us here this morning. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with this group of people, and I know, Lord, that uh, you have something very specific and unique that you need to speak to every one of us, me included. And so, Lord, we're all going to have our ears open to hear you. Uh, We're also going to have our hearts open to receive uh, whatever it is that you have to say to us today. We love you. It's in your name that we pray together. Amen. All right, so in your outline, you have the scripture, and I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole passage, and I'll kind of refer back to it a few times as we're moving through the message today. It starts here in verse 24. It says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I don't know why that's important to mention in Scripture, but that freaks me out a little bit. I'm going to be honest. He's red and covered in hair. I mean, this is not like, okay, he got hairy when he turned 21. This is like Chewbacca out of the womb. That. That's what's happening in the scripture. So maybe you didn't catch that, but that's kind of crazy start to what we're talking about here. So it says that he came out red, his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, pay attention to verse 28 there. Isaac had a taste for wild game, and so he loved Esau. In other words, Esau brings me good stuff to eat, and that's why I love Esau, because I got a taste for game. I got one son that provides that and one son that doesn't, and so that's why I like Esau. Uh, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom means red, which was Esau's nickname. So the guy that is all red, his nickname is Red. That makes sense, right? Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright, which feels completely out of place, right? Hey, can I get some soup? give me your birthright. And then, like, I would have thought if I'm Esau, I'm the skilled hunter, I'm this big, strong, tough guy that goes and kills wild game, I'd just punch him in the face right then. Like, no, I'm not giving you my birthright. Give me the soup. But that's not how Esau responds. Apparently, he was in pretty bad shape because he says, look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. In other words, he didn't think that his birthright was worth as much as that bowl of soup. Now, this is sad. I mean, this is like the worst negotiation ever. Yeah, Esau did not win any awards for this one. I mean, come on, you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup? That just doesn't even seem like it makes any sense at all. Now, we're talking about an inheritance. Now, that might not mean a lot to you here and now. You might be thinking, well, my mom and dad, their inheritance for me, that's actually just going to be bills that I have to pay on their behalf. So I'm not excited about that inheritance. But for Esau, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. Their dad was rich. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of wealth. This was a bad deal. Now, I have a pen. I mean, I don't know. Probably most of you guys don't know this about me, but I have very particular pens that I like. And this is the pen that I like. It's a gel micro. And I just, I love to write with this pen. It's so great. I love it. Now, does anybody in this room, you have like, a nice car. You're like, yeah, I love my car. Now, I'm not talking about like, oh, I have a Toyota Corolla and I really like it. No, like, you got a nice car. You got an SUV or something. Just just put your hand up. You're not bragging. It's okay. We, we know. We see you roll in. You got a nice car. Okay, you got a nice car. Nice. Glad you guys are driving a nice car. Now, those that raise their hand, I already told you how nice this pen is. What do you think? I give you this pen, you give me your nice car. No, what about interested in that exchange? Like, no, of course not. Nobody in this room is, ex- is excited about this pen except for me. I'm excited about it. I like this pen, but nobody's going to give me a car on behalf of a pen because that's a terrible deal. But it really was that kind of a thing going on with Esau and Jacob is that he's saying, I got this bowl of soup. And Esau's like, I got this birthright. Sounds fair. Let's swap. Like, that's a ridiculously... Terrible, terrible deal. It's just a stupid, stupid thing for Esau to do. I mean, this compromise, it illustrates the temptation that all of us face. You're thinking, no way, I would never make a deal that bad like what Esau did. But have you ever taken on more debt than you could afford, only to later discover that it was causing you to fight or cheat or steal or compromise your integrity? You wish you could undo it. You didn't realize it at the time, but you made a bad deal trade when you took on that debt. Some of you made bad relationship trades when you were younger. You made that trade. You dated that girl or that guy because they appealed to you, they looked good, but you knew that they didn't have anything good to offer you. And all that led to was hurt. Uh, Maybe they even took you places sexually that you never intended to go to. You made that bad trade. Have you ever made an emotional decision to quit a job and move on before asking God, is it time for me to move on? Have you ever moved ahead of God's plan that way? Or maybe you've made an impulsive decision to end a friendship because there was an argument and you just felt like, I can't get over this argument, only to find out a few months down the road how much you need and miss that person. And sometimes you even discover, wow, I was the one that was wrong. I made a bad trade there. That that friend of mine actually had my best in mind, but I pushed them away because I was angry at them. You see, we make those kinds of trades all the time, and the sad thing about it, and this is what we see in the Scripture here with Jacob and Esau, is that you don't feel good after the trade. You're inclined to make the trade because you think there's some preferable future there if you make that trade, but the Scripture doesn't even say anything about Esau enjoying the soup, you know? You don't hear anything about that in the passage of Scripture. He just got his bowl of lentil soup and bread, and that was the end of the transaction, you know, and it's often it's that way with us. when We make that trade is that we make that trade. And initially, after we make that trade, we get rid of whatever it is that is immediate, that we feel like, oh, no, I, I have to have that thing. We hold on tight to those immediate things. And in exchange, we give away the great plans that God has for us in the future. And it doesn't satisfy the way that we thought it would. The bowl of soup always looks better in the moment than it really is. Whatever that counterfeit is that you would say, okay, God is providing me this, but I want this. Whatever that thing is, it is never as good once you receive it. Esau was impulsive. He traded who he was, the firstborn, for a passing feeling of hunger. Now, what Esau did, we face as a temptation too, giving up what we need most in the future for what we want right now. We give up the things that we need most down the road for what we want right now. So, how do we overcome that temptation of giving up what we need most for what we want right now? Because I think that's what most of us want. I mean, there's a, a difference here between compromise and investment. You don't need to compromise who you are to get what you want most. I mean, compromises, they lead us to bad traits, compromises lead us to regrets. Listen, you want most to know that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you're worthwhile, that you belong and you're significant. And you'll never get that through compromising who God designed you to be. You'll get there by investing your life in him. You're not going to get there by compromising all of the blessings that God wants to offer you. Giving up what you need most for what you want now is always a bad trade. We need to learn to be patient and wait for God to fulfill those things that we need in his timing and at his pace. So let's set the stage for this story. The Bible says that they grew up meaning they grew up physically. And we don't know exactly how old they were, but the best guess is that they're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 years old. So they're, they're grown up, you know, they're grown men at this point. And yet these two grown men are arguing over a bowl of soup, right? They're like arguing with each other, bickering over a bowl of soup. I mean, the whole thing just sounds ridiculous. This is the kind of thing that we went through when we were 10 years old, right? bickering over the things that we want and holding things over our brother or our sister, saying, well, you can only have this if. Now, how many of you know people like this? You know, they grew up physically, but they didn't necessarily grow up on the interior. They're dealing with some of the same things, some of the same struggles that they dealt with when they were young. They're still dealing with today. They've never taken the time to address those inner wounds and get some healing there. Now, sometimes this happens with all of us. I have to admit that this happens for me sometimes too. We, re- we react to our kids. I react to my kids sometimes like I'm one of their siblings instead of like I'm their parent. You know, I get easily frustrated. I respond in anger when I absolutely could have responded in gentleness and love. That, that happens sometimes. That's a natural human thing to happen. I certainly don't want to act that way. I want to act my age, you know. I want to be the parent that God has called me to be, but often I act like I'm their sibling and I'm not their parent. You're all grown up on the outside, but then you don't get your way in a friendship or in your marriage. And so then you're not only are you angry with that other person, but then you take it out on the other relationships around you. You've never learned how to navigate conflict in a healthy way. So the conflict that you have with your spouse, or the conflict you have with your son or your daughter, or your friend, or your coworker it spills over into other relationships because you're not working on, the, working on finding any kind of a, a, a good resolution to that disagreement. You know what I'm saying here. It's possible to grow up physically without growing up your heart and your emotions. Uh, just recently, I, and I feel like I told this at Gettysburg Pike a few weeks ago, but this story is just so good, I have to tell it again. You guys need to hear it too. Uh, this is very recently with my two-year-old. All right, We've got four kids, the youngest of which is two, and his name is Noah. He's going to be here for second service today. But this kid, I mean, he's, he's just really smart, and he's also really mischievous. So it's a really, really challenging uh, combination that he has going here. But one evening, I, I never knew I had anger issues until I had kids. Like, I always thought... I was pretty even-keeled, you know, I didn't really blow up easy at people, and then I had kids, and I realized I'm completely out of control, right? So like, one day, Laurie's working, and I'm home with the four kids, and we're hanging out, and we're trying to play a board game, which I love board I heard a couple people just groan in <laughs> agony when I said that. Because you know what it's like to lead a bunch of kids 10 and under in a board game. Everybody's mad. I didn't get what I wanted to get. And I wanted to use that piece. And who gets to go first? Why does the youngest always get to go first? And everybody's arguing with each other. And in the middle of that, I can just feel the heat just rising <laughs> up my body. And it gets up to the level of my ears. And I'm just about to explode. And I, I, I'm like getting ready to yell. And like I'm right here like this. Guys? I just said, guys? And in the middle of that, Noah goes, Daddy, be quick, be slow, be slow. Because we had been working on this passage of Scripture, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to get angry. I had no idea my two-year-old even knew what we were talking about. (laughs) In the middle of this, he looks at me with this disapproving look. I mean, he was so ashamed of me. He looks at me and he just leans over and he says, Daddy, be quick, be slow, be slow. And I said, Noah, you are right. And I am sorry. I am not much acting like a parent today. So Esau grew up and he became a very skillful hunter. That's said there in verse 27. He got really good at what he did, and he must have gotten good at what he did because his dad really enjoyed the fact that he was always bringing him good things to eat. He grew up to be this skillful skillful hunter, but he didn't grow up in who he was. He grew up in what he was doing. He was a skilled hunter. That's what he could do, but he didn't spend a whole lot of time figuring out who he actually was and who God had called him to be. So what happens when we grow up in what we do but not who we are. Well, let's look at Esau. What happened with him is we forfeit all we have because we grew our skills, but not our character. And some of us in this room are in danger of this too, that we're working on improving our skills, but we are not working on allowing God to improve our character. When we spend all of our time working on improving what people see on the outside, but we never spend any time allowing God to fix what's on the inside then we become as unhealthy as Esau was, where we're willing to make huge allowances. We're willing to compromise because our interior is so out of whack. We think, I have to have that bowl of soup to be happy, when in reality, we don't need that bowl of soup. What we really need is just to get intimate with God and allow him to meet those interior needs on his own. Esau got really good at hunting. He was good at killing his dinner, but not at controlling his appetites. He was not good at controlling his appetites. Esau compromised. He made a bad trade. He didn't see this coming, and his appetite outgrew his character. See, lesson number one here is that we need to beware of make, mistaking growth for maturity. And That's the first set of blanks in your outline today. Beware of mistaking growth for maturity. I'm going to give you four lessons today that if you apply these things, I think it's going to help you avoid making these kinds of compromises that Esau did. Beware of mistaking growth for maturity. You know, you might be really good at making money, but you're not good at managing it. So you're a really bad spender because you grew your money making skill, like using your skills, but not your ability to control your appetite for things. So even though you've made a lot of money, you've spent a lot of money. You keep trading a legacy of generosity for the excitement of whatever the next thing is that you will purchase. Maybe that's your story. Or you might be really good at hunting for new relationships. You know how to get things going, but you lack any depth. As soon as that relationship extends beyond just a comfortable familiarity, as soon as it starts to get a little bit deeper than that, you withdraw and you move away because you're not comfortable there. You have the skill of developing relationships, but you don't have the openness in the interior to really develop any true intimacy with anybody else. You know, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because you grow in size or strength, that that automatically means you grow in wisdom. does not necessarily mean that you become wiser as you get older. It has to be an intentional choice to say, God, teach me, work on me in the interior so that I can know more how to apply your word to my life. You can grow in stature, but fail to grow into maturity. I think that's why Paul... Uh, wrote to Timothy when he was a young leader in the church that he shouldn't let anybody in the church look down on him. That was really important to Paul. He said, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you can't make this assumption that just because somebody's older than you and maybe they've had a relationship with God longer than you, that they are somehow further along in their development of their journey with Jesus. In fact, there may be something, young people that are in the room today, there may be some things that you can actually model for the adults in this church. For the people that are, are leading you, you could actually lead them too, that you could lead up towards them because there's some things that God is doing in your heart. Don't just assume that because somebody is older, is more advanced in years than you, that they have it all together and you have to just say, well, I'll wait until I get there to lead. I think that's why Paul said to Timothy, you lead. You set the example for the, for the believers. You set the example for the experienced vets in this church. So if you're a young person, don't just assume that there's going to be other people to lead. You step forward and lead. God might actually be asking you to lead the way. And Paul knew this about the way that God works, is that sometimes, often, God uses the people that seem least suitable to lead, the ones that don't have the most experience or don't have the most resources, that God calls them and then equips them as they serve. I know that many of you that are serving in ministry here in the church, that's your story, that when Pastor Sean or one of the other leaders first tapped you and said, hey, I think you could serve in this way, your initial response was like, oh, no. No, that is not for me. Kids ministry, no way. Like, I can't do it. Student ministry, no, I'm not, I'm not comfortable around middle schoolers. They're scary. I just, I can't, I can't do it. But now you can look back and you can see, wow, I wasn't equipped when I showed up the first day, but God has equipped me in this process that now I feel like, how could I not be serving in the place that I'm serving? God is asking you to take that bold step of faith. Paul knew that in the kingdom of God, the size of your shoes is way less important than the size of your heart and what God's doing on the interior. I think that Esau may be assumed because he was bigger and stronger and tougher and older by like half a second, he assumed that his younger brother would never get the upper hand on him, but he was wrong. He assumed that he was more mature than his younger brother, and because he was more mature, he assumed he was more wise and his younger brother also. He thought there was no way that his frail little brother that never went out to hunt could ever best him, and yet his younger brother did. How did he get there? How did Esau develop such a huge blind spot in his own development? Well, if you follow the story, you see in verse 28, I mentioned this when we were working our way through the passage, that Isaac loved Esau for what he could do for him. That's what he was celebrated for, is what he did for his dad. Parents, you need to hear that. I need to hear that. It's great that we celebrate the things that our kids can do, but it's much more important that we celebrate them for who they are, for who God has made them to be, who they are on in the interior, recognizing the, the, the abilities, the character, uh, the things that we see in their character that we know are placed there by God that can be a strong influence on the people around them. Those are the things we need to pre- bring out of our kids. Those are the things that we need to champion them in not just the things that they do, because then their identity comes from the things that they do. You can have a kid that's really great at soccer, but if you never actually take the time to compliment their character and who they are as a person and work with them on their interior, then they may not grow up to be the healthy Christ follower that you are hoping and and desiring that they will be. Esau was there, and that's a dangerous place to be. Isaac loved his Esau because Esau could get him trophies, because Esau could provide him food. He loved what he got from Esau instead of loving Esau for who he was. Rachel, she loved her son Jacob for who he was. We don't know a whole lot about what their relationship was like, but it doesn't say anything here about, well, she loved him because of this. She loved him because she loved him. She knew the person that he was. And I wonder, too, like, what was that relationship like? It seems like maybe that was a little bit dysfunctional, too, that she's like, oh, you know, You don't have to go out and hunt stuff. You just stay home with mama. You just let that big hairy red animal go out and find the animals, and you stay here with mama. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. Esau had been raised to believe that his value was only in what he could do. He found his identity. He found his place in the family and in the world as a hunter. So if he was hunting and he was successful in hunting, then he felt good about himself. But in verses 29 and 30, he was not successful. And I wonder if that was actually more the source of his hunger. Obviously, he was hungry. He wanted some soup. But I think maybe the reason he was so overwhelmed by it is because he came back with nothing. The one thing that he was skilled at, the one thing he felt like he was placed on this earth to do, he couldn't do it. And because that was where he found his identity, he came out of that experience feeling worthless, feeling depressed, feeling hungry, and willing to trade his birthright In order to just get a bowl of soup. You know, that's a danger for us all. When we are weak, when we are hungry, when we are desperate, we often don't make good decisions. We grab for whatever we can to provide us some level of relief. And when you talk to the wrong voice, you will often make the wrong choice. When you go to the wrong person in those moments, it often leads you to the wrong choice. Esau got in trouble because he got too hungry He said, quick, I need some of that stew. Give me some stew. And then here it comes, that bad trade. In verses 31 to 32, Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Now wait, who's the big, strong hunter warrior now? Jacob has turned the tables on Esau, and now Jacob is the one calling the shots. Esau is so hungry that he forgets his own strength. He's willing to do anything to satisfy his appetite. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted immediate gratification and he even kind of turned into a little bit, you know, got a little dramatic here. And he's like, I'm about to die. Just give me some soup. <laughs> you, you, if you have kids, you've heard that one, right? Like, dad, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. That's my daughter, Kenzie. She's like, I'm so hungry. I'm like, here's a potato chip. Okay, thanks, daddy. I'm good now. I'm going to die. Esau was in this weakened state, not only because of his physical uh, need for food, but also because on the interior he was drying up. He was finding his identity in what he did, and he wasn't able to do where he he wasn't able to do what he thought he was called to do, what he was put on this earth to do. He was hungry now, and because he was hungry now, he sacrificed what God had planned next. He traded what was most valuable in the long run for that short-term fix, and sometimes that's what we do too. So lesson number two is this: beware of zeal without knowledge. Beware of zeal without knowledge. You see, Esau had all the energy. He had that go-getter attitude. He wasn't one to just sit around being. He was going to be doing. He was going to go out and he was going to get it done. He was hunting game. He was the warrior. He was the firstborn son. He was the rightful heir to two-thirds of his father's fortune. So he had zeal, but he did not seek after knowledge. He thought just grabbing life by the horns was enough. He just goes and he goes hard and goes fast and then everything's gonna happen just the way I planned it. But scripture tells us that that is not the ultimate pursuit. The pursuit of wisdom is supreme. Proverbs 4 tells us that. We're instructed to get wisdom even if it costs you everything. Get understanding above all else. That's what we're told to do. To get knowledge, get wisdom. But sadly, we often have not because we ask not. We want the answers, but we never actually think, oh, I should ask God to help me. I should ask for his direction. I should ask him to give me the wisdom that I need. I should ask him to lead me to people that have the information that I need. I should ask him to get me connected to a small group or get me connected to a church where there's other people that are trying to get through this journey of life with me, that I can ask them for their advice. We don't ask for wisdom because we think we can rely on our own strength to get it done. Truly, we sometimes value our own hard work more than we value the input of someone else or even God. See, zeal alone is not enough. We have to be passionate about our pursuit of God's wisdom, not just the pursuit of experiences. Yes, we do learn through experience, but we also learn through intimacy with God and development of a relationship with Him because then not only do we learn from His relationship, but then he leads us into other relationships that have a positive influence on our relationship with him as well. We have to be as, pers- as, as passionate about our pursuit of God's wisdom as we are in our pursuit of experiences. And it often is as simple as asking. You just need to take time to ask, and God is willing to provide wisdom for you. I mean, that's why I read the Bible every day, not just because like, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to, and I should qualify that. I don't necessarily do it every day. <laughs> I try to every day. And most days I get to, as there's some days that I miss, but that's why I read it. I mean I know there's connection with God and and that's good that there's but there are days that I read the Bible and I don't necessarily feel like I have this intimate connection with God. I just read it and I go, that's a really good reminder. Like I needed to read that. I needed to learn that again. I needed the wisdom that was in this book. That's that's why I get into this book every day. And so if you don't have a regular habit of reading God's word, of picking up the Bible and reading it, I would strongly encourage you to do it because this is a huge source of wisdom for you as you, lead your, as, as you live your life and as you explore your journey with Jesus. So I would encourage you to do that. James tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, he should ask God and God is going to freely give it to us. Uh, pastor and author Andy Stanley says this, and this is a quote that I've held on to for a number of years now. Uh, he says that wise people know when they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do. Wise people know when they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who do, because sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, you're wise if you know all the stuff. But what Andy Stanley is saying, and what I agree with, is that it's not a matter of having attained more knowledge. It's the recognition that I don't know it all, so that when I can run into something that I don't know the answer to, I can go to somebody else and I can ask them for their advice. Hey, what would you do in my situation? I don't know what to do in this particular moment. Don't be afraid to go to those who do know. And, you know, we, this is something that I do too, and maybe you can relate to this, is that I'll be struggling with something and I know that there's somebody that has an answer to that. Like, they went through something similar. I know I can go to them. But you know how I excuse it away? I say, oh, they're, they're too busy. Like, I'm not going to bother them with that. They're, obviously, they got through that. They're okay now. I'm not going to bug them. We do that, right? We just kind of excuse them. I'm not going to bug them. They don't really. do You know that there, is, there are very few things that are more empowering for someone than for you to come to them and say, I'm struggling, and I'm going through what I think you went through. Could you give me some advice? That's like an immediate shot in the arm for the person that you go to because they recognize, one, you value their friendship enough that you're willing to come and be vulnerable with them and say, hey, I'm really struggling here. But two, you are recognizing them as the expert on the subject. And people like to feel like, hey, I'm, I do have some good advice to give for somebody else that's going through something similar. So don't let that thing keep you from asking somebody else for help. Go ask them for help, and they're absolutely going to be willing to help you. What happens too often is in our zeal for knowing what's next we get tired of waiting for God's direction, and so then we impulsively step into what's next before we have clear direction about what to do. Now, my wife, uh, her name is Laurie, and we've been working for a few months now on trying to figure out what is it that God is calling us to next. When I stepped down out of the role of pastor of student ministries at Daybreak, uh, we both knew that that was the right step to take, and it was something we'd been praying about for a long time. Not just the two of us, but I had called on a lot of other people to go through that with me. And I had asked for a dozen people that were close friends of mine that I trusted to pray for me. And they prayed for me over, over a long period of time. And ultimately, we came to the decision that, yes, it's the right time to step down. But the scariest part about taking that step is that we actually didn't know what was next. And we still don't know for sure what's next. And so we took that step, not impulsively, but by inviting God to lead us and give us direction. And so you may not know every piece of the puzzle of what's coming next, but you need to at least take the time to invite God into your process and say, God, what is it that you want us to do? If you, if you can give us some direction, either through your word or through somebody else or even just through something you want to speak to us in this moment, then we're here. We're ready to listen. And sometimes God will give you clear direction, and sometimes he won't. But there's an important step there in the waiting and listening and being patient to hear from him. Because sometimes we can have a bad day at work, and we can be like, that's it. I'm quitting my job and I'm moving on. But God has placed you there because there's bad days in that office. He needs you there to be the positive light for him in that place. There are other times that he actually does lead you on from whatever that job is. I'm just saying, don't leave on one day because you had a bad day. Take some time to talk to God about it. Allow him to work through that process with you. And when you feel good about taking that step, don't do it impulsively, but try to discern God's direction for you and for your family. So it's not easy. And to be honest, zeal is a really good thing. Excitement for what's next is a really good thing. Uh, But sometimes our zeal can push us ahead of God's plan. And that's what happened with Esau. He was just so ready to go that he was willing to trade anything to get through that moment so they keep going into the future that he had scripted for himself. Uh, Craig Groeschel, another pastor that I, I really love to listen to a lot of his stuff. He's the pastor of Life Church. He says it this way, when it's God's timing... Or when it's not God's timing, you can't force it. But when it is God's timing, you can't stop it. And that's been my mantra for the last couple of months. It's like, okay, God, when it's your timing, I'm going to know it because you're going to put those wheels in motion and I'm going to follow the direction that you're planning for us. Uh, But until it's that time, I can't force it. I have to wait and be patient for him to lead us into what's next. So be patient and know that when the timing is right, God will be the one to start opening the doors for you. He'll lead you into what's next. Lesson number three is this. Be aware of unsatisfied appetites that become exaggerated emotions. Beware of this. Beware in your life and your soul and your emotions that you don't get so hungry that you compromise your integrity. It's like the Snickers commercials say, you aren't, who you, you, aren't you when you're hungry, <laughs> right? When you're really hungry, you're not you. You're a different version of you. That's not the real you when you're hungry. When we get too hungry, everything gets blown out of proportion. We snap back at people, uh, whether either we're too lonely or we're we're too tired or too hungry for affirmation or importance, that our emotions get all tangled up and all mixed up, and we try to get from others what we can only get from God. Uh, I said before, like my, so there's four kids, and the oldest is Dylan, then Kenzie's next, then Carly, then Noah. And Kenzie, she's the one that gets hangry, right? You guys know what hangry is? Like, you're so hungry, you're angry about it. Like, that's Kenzie. When she's hungry, you know we got to get this girl some food. But she only snacks all day long. Like, if you ever see Kenzie, she's, like, super skinny, and she just eats, like, goldfish all day. (laughs) But, like, when she's hungry, she's like, I need food right now. And it compromises who she is. She gets angry because she's hungry. Your emotions will get exaggerated if you are too hungry. And, of course, I don't just mean this in the physical sense. But I mean, when your needs are not being met, when you are not engaged in intimate relationship with God and allowing him to open you to connected relationships with other believers that are gonna assist you on your journey, you will get hungry and your emotions will become exaggerated. You start trying to get something from others that you can only get from God. You aren't you when you're hungry. You're a shell of who you are because you're not complete. Proverbs 27, 27, seven says this, and I think it's great. To the hungry even the bitter tastes sweet. To the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. In other words, we'll eat anything when we're hungry. Like if you are really, really hungry and you need to eat to survive, you will eat whatever is placed before you because you just need to survive. To the hungry, even the bitter tastes sweet. If you're starving, you'll eat just about anything and you'll think that it tastes good. And that's what we do when we, when we go for those counterfeit sources of love, counterfeit sources of fulfillment, when we don't go directly to God for them, then we go to the counterfeit source, and that, that placates our need for a moment, but then that goes away very quickly, and suddenly we're very hungry again. You know, To illustrate this, you'll trade sex for love, you'll trade intimacy in a relationship like that, you'll trade that, instead of having true love, you just think, well, I'll just have intimacy, and that meets that need for a moment, But it's counterfeit, and it only solves it for that moment. It does not give you the solution that you really desire, which is a loving, committed relationship with a person that loves you and that you love. You think, since I can't get real love, I'll just settle for this temporary fix. The immediate need feels urgent, and you you feel like, oh, I just got to do this now. But it isn't what you want most. What you really want most is to have an intimate relationship with someone that you are committed to, where you can experience that within the context of a marriage. If you're starving your heart of a connection with God because you haven't spent time with God in prayer, you haven't spent time walking with Him, learning, and re- reading Scripture, and other spiritual practices that will help you stay connected, that you are in danger of becoming very hungry, and you will fill that need with things other than God. If you're starving yourself of spiritual friendships and you're trying to take this Lone Ranger approach, then you will find yourself in danger of getting hungry. Listen, we're not bad people as much as we're just hungry. We have a desire that needs to be met. You made the decision you regret, not because you were unable to make a good decision, but because you were too hungry in that moment that you couldn't make that good decision. You don't need to go around hungry anymore, though. I mean, That's why Daybreak does what it does here on Sunday mornings. That's why we invite you into a Sunday morning worship experience, because we believe that this is part of what satisfies your soul and your need to connect with God and connect with other people around you. That's why Daybreak does the podcast. So if there's a Sunday you miss, you can get on there, you can listen to it, you can pay attention to that, and you can still have that opportunity to connect with what God is teaching at Daybreak. That's why Daybreak offers groups to connect with, whether it's ministry teams or it's small groups. That's why it's offered, is so that you can grow in in your intimacy with God and grow in relationship with other people. We don't want you to go around hungry. There are plenty ways for you to get connected to God in the context of this church. We provide this for you because we don't want you to go hungry because when you go hungry, you make bad decisions and they lead you away from God's preferred path for you and not towards it. So this is the conclusion and this is really the idea that has come through the whole way. This is lesson number four, but really this is probably the summary statement for the entire message is don't trade what you need most for what you want right now. Don't trade what you need most. In other words, what God says you need, not what you think you want, but what God says you need. Don't trade what God says you need for what you want right now. You've got to grow up your inside. You've got to feed your soul. If you don't, you'll be in danger. Don't trade your birthright. What do I mean when I say that? Don't trade your inheritance. You know, when you commit to follow Christ, you have an inheritance. We're told that in Ephesians 1.13. Uh, It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You are God's greatest possession. He loves you. All the riches of God are yours if you follow Christ. There are things that God has set aside for you and not just in eternity, but in the here and now. God has a purpose for you and he wants to give it to you. You will find fulfillment in his purpose for you and not just your purpose of being with him in eternity, but you have an inheritance right now here on earth in the life that you are living. God gives us that inheritance through his spirit of peace, through love and joy and goodness and faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is your inheritance. When you invite God to to give leadership to your life, when you invite Jesus to come into your heart and give you leadership, uh, this is your inheritance, is that all of these good things come out of you. Those fruits of the Spirit are displayed in your life, and no one can take it from you. And doesn't that sound like an enjoyable life to live, a life that is marked by joy, by love, by goodness, by patience, by being kind with each other, by being faithful, If we have a room full of people like that, that's a pretty good life to live with each other, right? And that is our inheritance. Does that mean we miss, that we're going to hit the mark every time? No. We're still humans. We're going to foul that up. But more often, we're going to come through in these things when we allow that to be our inheritance, when we live life through His Spirit, because He's going to lead us into what's real and what's intimate. So you can, you know, it is still your choice. So ultimately, I can say to you, your inheritance is joy but you could say, well, I'm going to trade my joy for grumbling. You, you can do that. You can choose to say no thanks to the joy. You can choose to say, no, I'm not interested in kindness. I would prefer sarcasm. Like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold on to that because I prefer to be sarcastic more than I would prefer to be kind. You can make that trade. And you can even trade love for a cheap imitation. But what I want to say to you is don't do it. Live out this inheritance. Invite God to give leadership to your life and then live out the inheritance every day. Ask God to display those fruits of the Spirit in your life. Ask for God's grace to put an end to your hunger. Stop meeting your needs because you're hungry and instead just go to God and allow Him to meet your every need. Don't try to fill up on those counterfeit sources of blessing. Allow Him to be your source and lead you into His best in His timing. Because you might feel like He's been pumping the brakes on your plan. You have this idea This way that, and maybe it's even a way that you want to serve him. It's something that you want to do. And you keep thinking, well, God, why aren't you putting the pieces together for me to do this thing? Because the thing that I want to do is going to honor you. It's going to put you first. Why won't you let this happen? And you feel like he keeps pumping the brakes on it. Well, it might be the right plan, but not the right timing. And he has some work that he needs to do in your interior first before you're going to be ready to lead in the way that you feel like he's calling you to lead. So be patient with him. Allow him to give you direction and, it, and allow it to happen in his timing. And maybe you're here and you're considering making one of those bad trades. Any things I've talked about all the way through the message today. Let me just encourage you, don't do it. Don't compromise. Don't make that bad trade. I know it looks appealing to you right now. I know it does. I know it looks like that temporary fix is going to provide you what you need. But I can promise you that it will not. It will leave you hungry. It will leave you desperate, and it may lead you into more trades down the road. Maybe you've already made some of those bad trades. I mean, what is the bad trade for you? Maybe there is something that you've made that trade even though you know, man, that was a compromise. I traded what I need most for what I wanted right now in this moment. I want you to know that there is grace for you. There is forgiveness for you you do not have to live as a slave to that choice that you made, that trade that you made. Because the ultimate trade that is offered to you is you get the opportunity to trade death for life. That's why Jesus came to the earth. That's why he walked this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for you, rose from the grave three days later. The reason that he did that was so that you could move from death to life. You could move from separation from God to intimacy with him. So make that trade this morning. No matter what bad trades you've made in your life or the bad trades you're, attempt, you're tempted to make right now, don't make that trade and instead make the best trade. Take time this morning to offer God this trade. It's, honestly, it's a terrible trade for him, right? He agrees to take all of our sin, all of, all of the mistakes that we've made. He agrees to take those. And in return, he offers you forgiveness. You know what it's like to, give a, to receive a free gift. I'm sure at some point in your life, somebody just gifted you something, that you're like, wow, this is completely undeserved. Well, this gift of grace is the most incredible gift that you can receive. We're going to take our impatience, our frustration, our short-sightedness, our selfishness, we're going to trade all of that in for trust. To trust in God's plan, trust in his timing, trust in his ability to forgive us, to heal us, guide us, and direct us. Trade death for life. invite Jesus to lead you. And we're going to continue to worship, but as we continue to worship, we're going to enjoy communion together, and this is going to be the way that we seal the decisions that we've made. So let me, let me pray with you, and then we will enter into that together. Lord, I love you. I thank you that we have the opportunity to commune with you in this way, and remember the sacrifice that you've made for us. God, we invite you to lead this moment, and allow this to be a moment of inspection for each of us, uh, that we look inward, and we ask you, God, okay... What are the bad trades that I've made? What are the bad trades that I've been considering? And that those bad trades, we would turn that around and say, God, we want to make a good trade, the best trade. We want to make the trade from death to life, from frustration and anger to living in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.